I am a Director of Missions Association Mission Strategist, and I thank you very much for being a part of Lincoln Association of Baptists. We changed the name a few years ago because we got tired of getting Severance Valley Church mail, and so we said, we got to do something about this. It was confusing, and we would have people show up at our office thinking they were attending the church and vice versa, and so we changed the name. And the, reason, the other reason is because it's just easier to do that. Instead of Lincoln Association Baptists, we're also known as the lab, and we think about the lab, we think about deciding discipleship or equipping or helping churches and ministers get better. And you are a part of 51 churches in our association, and your support is very, very precious to us. Because of your support, we're able to network churches and help churches find staff and staff find churches. Because of people like you, your support among our churches, we're also able to support and encourage ministers when need. For example, and I appreciate his kind words, I do come alongside ministers in their time of, of lowness, of, of depression, discouragement. And, and as one said, I'm kind of like a pastor to pastors, and that's kind of what I do. And by the way, this is July. Clergy appreciation is coming up in October. It's not too soon to plan ahead, okay? I'm serious about that because our ministers, our staff have, had, have taken a, a really hard beating since the pandemic and some have really not fully recovered emotionally and mentally. So and God's blessed you with some good staff here. Also, because of your, net, your networking and support, we're able to come together as churches and plan mission trips and opportunities. For example, by the grace of God, we've taken teams to Alaska, New York City. We're taking another team in New York Labor Day weekend. Salt Lake City coming up in November. We've been to Maysville. We've been to Oneida. So as God opens up the doors, we partner together with other churches and, and are able to serve, and we're better together than we are individually. And I really thank you all for being a part of that. Yes, I uh, want to talk to you this morning about a verse that changed my life. And that, as you see there in your insert, your bulletin insert, is coming out of Acts chapter 20, as you see here, Acts chapter 20. But before we get into that, let me take a moment and pray. Let's talk with God. Will you bow your head and your heart with me, please? Father, we do thank you that you've called us together this morning. We're so thankful, Father, to come together as a body of believers. And we thank you for the encouragement we have already experienced and through this worship service with message and song, as well as what you're doing in the life of this good church. And we thank you, Father, for the staff that you've called here and that they would always be strengthened and encouraged by our prayers for and by your presence, Father. And I pray that uh, we as their congregation would just encourage them as, and let them know that we love them and support them in all ways. We also pray, Father, that you would be with the team leaving Tuesday, Honduras. We pray, Father, that you would prepare their hearts and that you are preparing the hearts of the people that they will minister to down there in Honduras and that you will give them safe travels to and from Honduras and be with the families who stay here. Be with the, their loved ones who are going to be waiting anxiously for their return. And we pray, Father, that there be great testimonies and life-changing experiences this week. We also pray, Father, for the kids' camp coming up, Lord, that you would also prepare the hearts of the families that are going to be touched by this kids' camp coming up, and that those children and their loved ones will experience life-changing and possibly eternally changing moments that week. And Father, I'm very thankful that this church is taking a stand for marriage and for equipping couples in the biblical values of marriage, as you know, Father. Homes and marriages are under attack. The enemy is doing a number 
on, on marriage, that which you ordained and instituted. So I pray, Father, that through this ministry that many homes, many marriages are strengthened and then they become witnesses of what God can do through a family who puts you first. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Like many of you, I like the Peanuts cartoons. I recently read a, a Peanuts cartoon. Charlie Brown is sitting on a, a beanbag chair. He's watching TV. His little sister um, Sally comes in and she says, I've memorized the Bible verse for Sunday. And he said, what verse? And she said, oh, now you made me forget. Uh, I think it was something that Moses said or something from the book of Reevaluation. And I like that. I, I like that a lot because I thought, you know, maybe there are those moments in our lives when we need to let the Word of God reevaluate us. I mean, do we really take the Word of God seriously? Do we allow a Bible passage to be used of the Holy Spirit as we're reading it to reevaluate our hearts and lives, maybe even change the direction of our lives as God may want to do this morning? Maybe we can agree with this unknown writer who said this about the Word of God. He said, This book is the mind of God, the state of mind, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, its decisions are unchanging. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, the Christian's character. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It's a mind of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure, end quote. There's a lot of truth to that man's statement. I also think we can relate to what Everett Harris stated about the Word of God. He said, no one ever graduates from Bible study until he meets its author face to face. And I like that. No one ever graduates from Bible study until we meet the author face to face, meaning you and I never, ever stop growing as a disciple, as a Christian. We never do. We should never, ever want to say, I've arrived. No, you haven't. Because like me, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And I'm very thankful that the Holy Spirit gives us the guidance and the insight. Think of it this way. Any Bible student, and this may happen to some of you this morning, in, in small groups. We've sat through maybe a Sunday school class, small groups, or even our devotions, or maybe in a worship service, and, and Brother Scott's preaching, and it's like the verse, the passage just comes off the Bible and just speaks to us. And we know there that God has spoken to our hearts out of that given passage. And we like that. I mean, we like it when God agrees with us, don't we? That would have been a good place for amen, but anyway... <laughs> We, we, like, we confess that when God speaks to us, he encourages us, gives us guidance to go, yeah, that's what I needed to hear. We like that. We, we might even take that, that favorite verse or passage and, and print it on a T-shirt or put it on a bumper sticker and say, that's, that's my life-changing verse. And that's true. That, and that happens. But there's also the other side. What happens to us when the Word of God speaks to us and convicts us that we need to do something that we really don't want to do. That calls us to leave our comfort zone. 
to step out and do maybe even exactly contrary to what we are comfortable in doing. He's gone to meddling now. Not yet, but I'm getting there. For example, what happens when God calls us? Well, let's consider the Old Testament story of Jonah. We know that story. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and to proclaim the message that would save and change the people of Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to do that. You know that. Jonah said, I'm not, no. And he, he tried to run away from God. Now think about how foolish that is. God created the world. Where is he going to hide? And so he goes out and he's trying to run. And he has that moment in the belly of the fish to go, okay, God, I'll go along with it. And God used that reluctant minister, if you please, that preacher, to spare and change the lives of the city of Nineveh. But he didn't want to do that. I mean, you and I will see moments in the scriptures and maybe even moments in our own lives where God calls us to do some kind of task, some kind of ministry, and we're not excited about it. You know, it's kind of like when the nominating team comes up and goes, well, we can't find anybody else. Would you do it? (laughs) Y'all have never had that happen here, have you? But we learn a lot about ourselves and God when we step out of our comfort zone and do that what God wants us to do with our lives. Which then begs the question this morning, how loyal are we to God? How, how loyal, we like it when God blesses, encouraging, guides us. We, we, we like those feelings. But how loyal are we to God when God calls us to do something that's beyond our comfort zone that challenges us? Well, what might hinder our loyalty? Well, it could be that we need to have an attitude check. An attitude reality check. Maybe as we need to have that reevaluation of our attitude. I mean, does our attitude play a vital role in our loyalty to God? Absolutely. That's why we're looking at Acts chapter 20 here. One of my favorite examples of a man who had a, a strong attitude of following what God wanted to do is the Apostle Paul. And I, and I like what he says here. I'm going to be reading out of two translations throughout the courses, the NIV and the New American Standard. And here's what the NIV says, Acts chapter 20, verse 22 and following. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now, we read here that the Holy Spirit compelled. That word means forced, compelled. Paul just felt compelled to do what God wanted him to do. I, I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, but I don't know what's going to happen to me there. Now, later on, in Matthew chapter 4, the American Standard says this of, of our Lord Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit's leading him. Matthew writes, we, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, in Acts, the Holy Spirit's compelling Paul, leading Paul. And in Matthew 4, he's leading our Lord Jesus Christ into the wilderness to face the temptation. The Holy Spirit will always, always, always continually operate within the parameters of God's will. The word of God, if you please. That is to say, if you and I ever get an impulse to do something that doesn't align with the word of God, then we shouldn't do it. We should not do it. It may be a good intention. It may, you know, be something noble. But if it doesn't align up with the word of God, then we shouldn't do it. I mean, when our impulse is not contrary to the word, I mean, is, is contrary to the word of God, then that's not of the Holy Spirit. That's maybe of the flesh or peer pressure, if you please. 
Paul then goes on to say this in verse 21, excuse me, verse 23. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me of prison and hardship face me. I only know that the Holy Spirit warns me of prison and hardship face me. And in Acts 21, the next chapter over in verse 10 and following, a prophet of God says this to the apostle Paul. Coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now I want to ask you a question. Would you obey the word of God? Would you obey the Holy Spirit's impulse this very moment if you knew that hardship and suffering awaited you? Or as Paul says, I only know prison and hardship face me. Would you go? I mean, think about it. And even on our own culture, if you please, how, how often is it that we have church members and well-meaning volunteers, when the going gets tough, they get going in service. They get going, you know, they, they drop out. I mean, you and I, those of you who've been in church for quite a while, we've seen members and volunteers, good-hearted people, but when it got tough, they resigned, they dropped out of their respective ministry role. They may say something like this, I can't get anybody to help me, or I'm the only one who shows up, or that child's parents criticized me that Sunday after Sunday school. I don't need this. I'm dropping out. Really? If God called you, do you leave when the going gets... Look at Apostle Paul. I mean, you know, would we say that our favorite passage that we put maybe on our T-shirt or bumper sticker is the one where it says, and the Holy Spirit led me into the wilderness to face temptation. Think about that. Our favorite uh, is the one where God requires a sacrifice or hardship on me. This is one of the reasons I admire Paul. When you get beyond the surface and really dig at this man's character and his loyalty to God and his faith in God, what a witness he is and what a testimony he is to all of us and what he challenges us. Because he knew that he was going to suffer and yet he did what? He continued going toward Jerusalem. And then here's what Paul writes, and I love this passage, this verse. He writes, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I finish the race, complete the task, the Lord has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. I consider my life. That word basically means my cause to be. My cause to be, if you please. Child of God, I'm going to ask you a question. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why, why are you giving of your Sunday morning to be here this morning? Or why, why do you believe that you exist on God's planet? Why are you here? I was listening to Chuck Swindoll preach recently, and he said something like this. There are two important days in our lives, the day that we're born and the day we find out why we were born. The day we were born and the day that we found out why we were born. Classic example of that in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph. Many of us know Joseph was his daddy's favorite and he became envy of his brothers and they sold him. And then into slavery, he ended up in Potiphar's house and then was wrongly accused and he ends up in prison. 
and he spends all that time in prison. But all throughout that story is that constant theme of hope, and God was with him. And then there came the time when God delivered him out of prison and elevated him among all the peoples in, in Egypt except Pharaoh. But there was a family reunion. And here's what Joseph said to his brothers in his family reunion out of Genesis 45, verse 4 and following. Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So that it was not you who sent me, but God. Joseph learned at this stage, throughout that prison, throughout that hardship, why he existed, what his purpose was. Child of God, I want to ask you, have you realized what your God-given purpose is in life? Paul says, my life's worth. Now, what is your worth? What, what is your worth? What, you know, not your, what is your worth? What do you see as your worth, your life's worth? For example, if you were to go into a financial institute this week or talk to some business person, they may want to ask you what your net worth is if you're going to make a loan or investment, uh, which simple terms is, is basically, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're a genius at accounting over here, my brother. Assets minus liabilities. That's kind of like your net worth in the business world. But that's not who you are as a child of God. Now, you may think that your net worth your identity is what you do for a living, what your status is, what your last name is, what your rank is. But what's your worth and in mind the eyes of God? Well, you know that. John 3.16 tells you that. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, and that means you, that's your worth in the eyes of God. That's how God defines and determines your worth. Now, if you're a Christian, for example, if you're a male and you are a Christian, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, then you're a redeemed male. If you're a female and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you're a redeemed female. God created you male and female for a purpose and for a reason, and he wants nothing but the best for you. Do you believe that? Because that's the reality of it. God created you the way he created you. He has a plan and purpose for your life. And Paul, in this passage, reminds us of his priority in life. He said, my life is worth nothing to me. Now, he's saying a few goodbyes here to the Ephesian elders. He's, he's saying a farewell address to them. And he's letting them know his life's Mission, philosophy, if you please. My life is nothing to me. Why? Because Paul wanted to finish the race. He wanted to finish the race running for his Lord. He wanted to finish doing what his God-given task, and he knew what his God-given task was. Which then begs the question, as we look at the passage here, what is my, our God-given task? Have you learned it? Go back to what I said about Chuck Swindoll a minute ago. Our two days, you know, the day we're born and the day that we figure out why we were born. 
Now, you're all born. And you celebrate that day once a year on what's called your birthday. And if you're kind of like me, you don't put too many candles out anymore because then it becomes a fire hazard because of my age situation here. Real glad you didn't laugh too much on that one. But, uh, but you get the point here. God-given task. Have you determined what your God-given task is? My first church in West Virginia I was always doing you know, the small church, welcome the announcements. And, but one day God laid on my heart to ask this man in the back row to start doing the welcome announcements. Now, Pat was not talkative. He was very reserved. You know, he would shake my hands. We'd go out, you know, very friendly. But he was not outspoken, not outgoing. But I did what God wanted me to do. I said, Pat, I said, I want you to pray about something. I want you to pray about doing the welcome announcements and maybe the opening prayer. And then he said he'd pray about it. He prayed about it. He got back with me. He said, okay, I'll do it. And he stood up the first time and he did the welcome, did it very professional. And then he prayed. Wow. Nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw this man who was quiet and reserved, who had that prayer life that he had. And it wasn't long that he began to feel comfortable, more comfortable, and he would crack jokes. He developed a sense of humor. He was very quick-witted, and he went on to be a strong leader in the church. Have you, beloved, found out what your God-given task is? In other words, where do you fit in in this puzzle called Valley Creek Baptist Church? What, what piece do you play, and are you accomplishing your God-given task? Paul says, the Lord has given me. The Lord has given me. We all have been given an assignment for Almighty God. Paul says that I may finish the race. See, once he knew his task, Paul says, I want to finish. And if you read Paul's letters, you think either he likes sports or maybe in this context, he's talking in a language that maybe the Ephesians liked and he's talking sports narrative, sports language. I I want to finish my race. Now, if you and I are serious about if you ever ran, you want to finish your race or finish your morning jog or whatever, you don't want nothing to impede your progress. I like what Wilmer Chapman stated. He wrote, my rule for Christian living is this. Anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult is wrong for me. I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. And I like that. Anything that hinders my Christian, I must turn away from it and run from it. Our Christian life is a race, child of God. And everybody is going to finish our race. We're, everybody is going to, as a Christian, we're going to finish our race. So I'm going to ask you, how's your race going? Back when I was in high, uh, grade school, I used to run relay races. And I had an assignment. I had to stay in my lane and run X amount of yards, and when I finished my, my run, I had to pass the baton off to the runner in front of me. And it was so important that I make sure that he has a firm grip on that baton or else we lose the race. I'm running a more important race now. I'm run, when I complete my God-given race, I'm going to be passing on the baton to my children and those around me, my Christian values, my biblical understandings. And I have to make sure that they have a firm understanding, a firm grip, because they're going to carry it even farther than dear old dad here does. Think of it this way. Periodically we see on TV or maybe we read on on social media, 
celebrities who get interviewed. And at one point in the conversation, the interviewer asked this question, how do you want people to remember you? How do you want your fans to remember you? How do you, beloved, want your family to remember you? I like what Christian artist Bridget Nicole wrote. None of us know how much time we have left on this earth. What's left in the end are your actions, the memories you left behind, and how you made people feel. What do you want to leave behind is people to remember you with love, end quote. Now think about that. How do you want your loved ones to remember you? And if you feel this morning that God wants to make some changes, then, then by all means, do what God leads you to do. Paul writes the task to testify the gospel of grace. Overall, our assignment from Almighty God is that we testify about the gospel of grace. The gospel. See, time periodically we'll have church members of Christian. Well, I just know what God wants me to do in my life. Yes, you do. Overall, every child of God, the redeemed child of God, our, our will from God is the Great Commission. Every one of us. Jesus said, and all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Every one of us testifies. Every one of us. I mean, for example, you can take a moment sometime this week, take a piece of paper and write out your testimony. Three to five minutes is all you need. And practice sharing that with your loved ones, those around you, until it's second nature. So then you can do as God is asking you to do. To testify to others about the solemn grace of God. The gospel. Now, we know the gospel is good work, good news. And every one of us, we like to hear good news, do we not? I mean, we really do. For example, if we knew, if we had news that we knew was unique and was going to change somebody's life, we couldn't wait to share that. For example, if we had something special for our child or grandchild, we knew was going to brighten their day, make their day, change their life maybe, we couldn't wait to share it with them. In fact, when we're sharing it with them, we stand back with our phone and take a million pictures and post it on Facebook. You and I, as Christians, redeemed children of God, we have the gospel. And we know the gospel has changed and impacted every one of us. So who do you know, who do you know, beloved, who needs to know your Jesus? And will you take a moment this morning and say, God, help me, give me the opportunity to share, to testify the gospel, the grace of God to the person, the family that you've laid on my mind right now. And then that person may say of you, I'm a Christian because that individual took time to show and share the gospel with me. Now, what a legacy that would be. Paul said this, and this is out of the New American Standard. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. 
May we do likewise. Let me talk with God for us. I'll turn the service back over to Scott. Beloved, it has been an honor to be before you. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you very, very much for the opportunity. Father, we thank you that we are here this morning, that we have the opportunity to talk with you, to listen, more importantly, to what you have to say to us through prayer and through worship, through your word. And we pray, Father, that we put our life in priorities like Paul did, that the most important thing is to testify of the gospel of your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.